It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. Just use that promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% sign-up bonus today. Pretty darn cool. He is Evan Silva from Roto World. You guys love him. That's why you listen to the podcast at Evan Silva on Twitter. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Got a bunch of podcasts. Another busy Tuesday this week just because of some scheduling stuff. We've got the Even Money podcast where we will dive into some lessons learned from the 2018 NFL betting season, as well as some AAF stuff. A lot of AAF stuff on today's show, Evan, which I'm really looking forward to. I have quite enjoyed watching that league so far. So we're going to dive into a little AAF and what we've gleaned so far, what we can learn from that moving forward, and what maybe it means for fantasy football in the NFL as well. Plus, why not make these AAF games more interesting each and every weekend. You might as well, right? I mean, let, let's make them more fun. We also have the College Draft Podcast today where we're doing a combine preview with Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles of the offensive guys in this year's combine. So a lot of good stuff. Yesterday I had Willie Cologne on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, longtime Steeler and Jet, talking about Antonio Brown, and then also talking about the differences between the Jets and the Steelers. I think you might want to take a listen to that interview. You also absolutely need to check out Lightstream. I love Lightstream. I'll tell you why. I literally tell Uber drivers this I talk to, friends and family. Lightstream is so smart because they realize so many people have credit card debt. Why are you paying two, three, four different credit card companies, those insane interest rates. You guys are smarter than that. Look, everybody did some dumb stuff in their 20s and people rack up credit card debt. I get it. But now you just wipe it out. Get a loan from Lightstream, pay off all your credit cards, and then get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay, credit card consolidation loan. It's awesome. Zero fees. Rate is fixed. Never goes up. You can apply online in minutes. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. You want to save more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount from the 6.14 I already told you. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash feast. That's L-I-G-H-T. S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash feast. Subject to credit approval, of course. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash feast for more information. Very excited about today's guest for a couple different reasons. One is he's with the Action Network, which is awesome. The other thing is 
is that Evan has been hyping him up for like a week. Like starting last week, Evan texted me, we got to get this guy Ian Harditz on the show. Got to get him on. He's at iHarditz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Am I, by the way, Ian, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You have actually nailed it, man. I'm, I'm impressed. It's, uh, it's like Cheez-Its, but Harditz, I always tell people. So it, it's a tricky one. Cheez-Its, but dude, Cheez-Its, by the way, are so good. I was just thinking about <laughs> that, that the other rich. day. So good. It's unbelievable. Um, no, no type of cracker comes close to Cheez-It, and no type of chip comes close to Doritos. Like, ever since I was five years old, you'd think after 35 years, somebody would be able to create something that's close to either one of those. It's never happened. It's never happened. It's unbelievable. Anyway, you can check out Ian on Twitter at iHeartIt's, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. He's all over the Action Network. He's president of the Cordero Patterson Fan Club, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I might have to dive into that a little bit later. But you're all over Action Network, Ian, and you're all over the AAF, which is one of the reasons why Evan wanted to bring you on and why I wanted to talk to you as well. So I guess first, Ian, just kind of what you do for the Action Network, and then uh, the follow-up question will be about the AAF in particular. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, thanks, both of you, for having me on. Yeah, Action Network, um, NFL analyst, you know, all things there. Specifically, uh, during the NFL season, I run uh, the Fantasy Labs NFL product. So in addition to writing, you know, a bunch of uh, help with projections, making sure the back end's tip-top, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, football season ends. It's uh, Super Bowl Monday. I was kind of uh, looking at myself, like, ah, what do we want to kind of work on for these next few months before the draft? And I don't know. NFL free agency is always there. It'll be fun here come March when guys are more rapidly uh, coming in and out. But just looked at this AAF league and said, hey, look, here's some uh, football in February that can uh, uh, keep me keep my mind pretty involved here for a couple of weeks and uh, might even end up being fun. So I'm, uh, I'm really happy with how the first uh, couple of weeks have gone. And I don't know, you know, a lot of people are into their NBA and all that. But for me, any, any chance to get to watch some 11-on-11 tackle football, I'm going to go ahead and take it. I love it. I love it, Ian. And Evan, I know you've really, I mean, I, I got a chance to watch a decent amount this past weekend as well. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of the Sunday night game. And I know, mm-hmm. Evan, you, you've kind of been really into it also. Yeah, I really started to dive into it uh, over the past, like, uh, it's been really less than a week. It was probably last uh, Wednesday. Uh, and we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Um, I, I would like to address the kind of uh, the reports that came out this morning about um, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, owner having to step up and save the league um, after only uh, it, its first week uh, uh, apparently had to inject $250 million into the league. Um, the way that I kind of looked at it, Ross, and I'd like to get your take, maybe you don't have a strong take yet because the report just came out, but the way that I'm looking at it is that, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of bad news that the league, you know, needed to be saved or, or you know, in, in, in this uh, in the, the athletics words. But it's also good news that it just got an injection of two hundred fifty million dollars, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars. And that that seems like enough money to kind of fund it uh, for, for at least a, a few more weeks. It's a 10 game regular season. So we have eight left. But do you, did you have any initial takeaways from that report? 
Yeah, I was very surprised based on everything I had heard about how well-funded it was and all of the money they had already gotten and some of the investors, Shaq and Justin Tuck, and they've got some, I believe, private equity companies have invested. So I, I, was, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, but I guess the good news, like you said, is, and I would need a little bit more information, uh, I'm surprised they haven't released a statement as of yet. My guess is, you know, we're recording this 9.20 a.m. Eastern time. You know, if there's any truth to that or if there's no truth to that, they'll probably be releasing a statement. Either way, right? I mean, if there's no truth to it, they're going to say, we're fine, that's not true. If the guy really did $250 million and he's going to be the chairman of the league now, then they're probably going to have to release a statement saying, we have a new chairman of the league, mm-hmm. the uh, Carolina Hurricanes owner. So I don't know, one way or the other, hopefully we'll get some clarity. But if you really didn't inject $250 million, that is good for at least the rest of the year, the rest mm-hmm. of this season. And, you know, most of the time, not always, but most of the time really, really rich guys just don't throw $250 million into something unless they think it might might lead to something. So hopefully that's good news. We'll see. We all know how difficult it is, you know, for these leagues. No question. No question. And um, uh, also included in the report was um, the kind of suggestion that the guy, you know, coming from running the, the Carolina Hurricanes of the NHL, he, he owns or he's the majority owner. Uh, he's also interested in uh, year two of the AAF, expanding the league to include a uh, a franchise in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, I mean, you know, th- this guy who has a, a, an awful lot of money uh, sees, you know, not just the rest of this season panning out for the AAF, but also the AAF continuing, you know, and him playing a major role in seeing to it that the league continues into 2020. So, I mean, although it sounds bad that the the league needed to be rescued, and you know who knows if that is uh, entirely accurate there. Um, maybe it was just this guy buying in to become the chairman, and you know wanting to make sure that when the league expands in 2020, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, is among the, the cities that is considered uh, for an expansion team. Uh, but either way, uh, you know this guy who has a, a ton of money. Uh, you know, is investing in the league, and I think we could take that as a good sign. But let's let's start talking about the league itself, Ian. Um, let's just run through each team. Let's let's start at the top. The Orlando Apollos, uh, coached by Steve Spurrier, two and zero. I to me, they clearly look like the best team in the AAF, not only offensively but also defensively, where they are just loaded in the secondary. Uh, what do you think about this Orlando Apollos team? You know, where where do you have them in your power rankings? Just what's your overall impression of this team run by Steve Spurrier? I was really impressed their performance last week, man, because after, uh, you know, they blew out Atlanta week one. Uh, you know, I think everyone could kind of see that Atlanta and Memphis were going to be uh, the two worst teams in this league pretty quickly. So I wasn't really sold on Spurrier after that, but Man, that Orlando-San Antonio game not only sold me on both teams, I think, but sold me on the viability of AAF potentially in the future because we did see what happens when you can have 
two competent quarterbacks in this league, and it was actually, I, I thought, the best uh, 60 minutes of football we've seen so far. But I have Orlando number two behind Arizona. I agree with you. Their secondary is awesome. Uh, Keith Reeser, you know, cornerback, had that awesome pick six. Will Hill's been playing some good ball at safety as well. My big thing right now, and it's, you know, obviously early, but their pass rush has been pretty brutal. We saw uh, mm-hmm. San Antonio, Logan Woodside, really had all day to throw. You know, right now, I uh, pulled some of the pressure numbers yesterday, but I have Orlando is having the worst defense in terms of just pressure rate, where, whereas Arizona is at number one, uh, getting pressure on 55% of their quarterbacks opposing dropbacks. So, to me, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, chicken or the egg thing. You know, I think it's been a long debate over if a pass defense is better off because of, you know, lockdown safeties and cornerbacks or if it's more of a product of how good your pass rush is. I've always been a little bit more team pass rush. I think right now uh, that better pass rush is in Arizona. But, man, can't say enough good things about the Orlando offense, at least. I mean, I love uh, Spurrier's fun and gun, which I'm being told is now called the sun and gun offense in uh, Florida with the Apollos. Uh, they're averaging 7.6 yards per play, which is uh, more than 1.4 yards over Arizona's number two mark. So absolutely no complaints to them on offense. I just worry about how well they can slow down opposing offenses for the rest of the year. Garrett Gilbert, the Apollos quarterback, I think, has kind of, kind of, I think, taken overtaken John Wolford of Arizona as the best quarterback in the league. Um, as you mentioned, you know Spurrier's offense has been a ton of fun to watch. This past week, they had uh, four completions of 45 yards or more. A lot of people will remember Ooh. Charles Johnson uh, from the Minnesota Vikings had had a, a really nice run in 2014 after the Browns signed or the the Vikings signed him off the Browns practice squad in season. Didn't even play with the Vikings during the preseason or training camp or anything. He jumps in. He has a bunch of big games. He he comes back. He's expected to be a starter. He was like a seventh-round pick in season-long leagues. The next year, uh, just hurt, hurt, you know, dealing with fractured ribs. Um, and he was a bust in 2015. And then in 2016, you know, they draft Laquan Treadwell and Stephon Diggs emerges and Adam Thielen emerges and, Charles Johnson, you know, kind of just just went by the wayside after that uh, played for. But then the next offseason, he went to Carolina. The Panthers signed him, took a shot on him. And they also had Garrett Gilbert on the roster during that offseason, during OTAs, you know, during minicamp, during uh, part of the preseason. And uh, Garrett Gilbert talked about this after their last game, how they they kind of formed a connection that offseason with the Panthers. And it has really shown up in uh, two games. Charles Johnson leads the AAF in receiving yards with 252. Uh, and, I mean, I thought he looked like the AAF's version of Julio Jones this past game. They've also got Jalen Marshall out of uh, Ohio State. He's been a big-time playmaker for them. Um, Chris Thompson, who uh, kind of like a deep threat, uh, you know, ran 448, played at Florida um, this, this offense is like kind of loaded, uh, and I, they'll, they'll be fun to watch the rest of the way. I, I think that it, it, this is clearly, uh, to me, the best team, but um, the number two team is pretty interesting as well. Uh, Arizona Hotshots, I thought that they were the best team after week one, but as the sample size grew, I think I'm leaning toward Orlando. But what have your, are your impressions so far of Arizona? Um, 
not not the you know not like constructed the same way like Orlando is a big time vertical passing attack but Arizona has been very productive on offense as well what are your impressions of them under Rick Neuheisel yeah, man. I mean, right now, Orlando and San Diego have been 59% of pass play rate, which has easily been uh, the most in the league. And we haven't seen that from Arizona. They've been actually a top three uh, running team. But ultimately, it comes down to their quarterback, just like I think almost all these teams uh, will at some point. And John Walford, I mean, like you said, you know, we can say Arizona was the best team after week one. I think Walford was the best quarterback after week one as well. And now both those kind of honors have shifted to Orlando and Gilbert after this last week of uh, action. But, man, I thought Trevor Knight was going to be – I think everyone did. We thought Trevor Knight was going to be Arizona's quarterback up until about Wednesday or Thursday of game week. And then Walford comes in and pretty much tears up the league uh, from the get-go. I mean, never ideal when you have that much uncertainty under center for you know your kind of de facto number one team in the league. But in this case, I think it's more an investment in the scheme and just this uh, team overall than any one particular player. Uh, one big thing with Arizona that uh, gets swept under the rug a little bit is Hugh Freeze was their offensive coordinator until about December. I mean, I you know I, I will pretend to know how many practices they had together, just how involved he was, or anything like that. But just watching this offense and they're they're running uh, much more up tempo than anyone else. No huddle, you know, RPOs, get into the line, and it just reminds me a lot of what we saw Freeze run at kind of Old Miss with a uh, Swag Kelly back in the day. So uh, it's one of those things where. You can watch all eight of these offenses, you know, Arizona, Orlando, San Antonio. Some of these teams actually look like they're running concepts from the last five years. And then you got teams like San Diego who seem to still kind of be stuck in the 90s. So uh, the success has been overwhelming in Arizona, particularly to Rashad Ross, uh, the number one receiver. You know, respect to Charles Johnson. I uh, agree with everything you said there. But I think Rashad Ross has really emerged as the true number one guy in this league. I mean, 11 targets, nine catches, 170 yards, and three touchdowns. He's doing it down the field, doing it in the red zone. Uh, really think he's emerging as kind of the top weapon uh, league-wide. And like I mentioned before, I think this defense uh, is kind of the difference maker. We've seen uh, Obum Guachum in particular. Uh, he's only one of four players with double-digit pressures so far, uh, really being that kind of key defensive end that every team kind of needs to make it far. So I'm loving what I'm seeing in the Arizona uh, team overall. The only annoying thing has been their backfield for fantasy purposes because looks like pretty much every team outside of uh, Birmingham and Trent Richardson has a committee these days. But other than that, man, uh, yeah, sign me up for John Walford and company. Yeah, Arizona, you know, Rick Neuheisel, has, he, he was out coaching since 2011. And, you know, he was an analyst. And he seems like he might have, like, sat back and – you know, kind of like digested and kind of picked it, picked, you know, all the concepts that he uh, he really liked just sitting back and watching college football and pro football over the past, what, five, six, seven years. And just has kind of incorporated all of them. They play really fast. I mean, they, they're an up-tempo team. Uh, like you mentioned, they're kind of a run-heavy team, but they've been dominant on the ground. This past week, Tim Cook, who... Uh, played fullback actually for the Jags for a little yeah. bit, and um, he kind of overtook Jarrell Presley as their number one back. Jarrell Presley has played for a number of NFL teams, um, and Tim Cook was an absolute monster uh, this past week. John Wolford, although he's been very efficient, hasn't even gotten to 30 pass attempts in either of Arizona's first two games. Um, but the the speed at which they play, I think it's starting to it's 
it's been wearing down their opponents late in games. Mike Singletary of the, the Memphis Express, head coach of the Memphis Express, talked about how their team just kind of ran out of gas late late in the game. You know, the Memphis Express was actually beating Arizona this past week at halftime um, by, by a 12-0 12, 12 to zero margin, and Arizona just kind of caught fire late in the game. John Wolford threw for 117 yards in the fourth quarter alone. They came back and won. Um, they've got some the, some former NFL players, like you mentioned, Rashad Ross. You know, I think that Charles Johnson is kind of like the AAF's Julio Jones. Rashad Ross, kind of like the AAF's Tyreek Hill. Ooh, um, I like it. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> Josh Huff, uh, former Eagles third round draft pick. Connor Hab- Hamlet had a cup of coffee with the uh, the Browns. Um, I mean, they they've got some dudes on their on their team that people uh, have heard of. Um, let's move to the Birmingham Iron, who, you know, they were great in their first game, much less impressive in their second game, should have lost. I mean, yeah. you know, they, their opponent uh, missed three field goals. Matt Asiata uh, fumbles inside the 10-yard line. Birmingham should have lost last week. They were really good, and this is this is Trent Richardson's team. They were really good in the first game, and in the second game I thought they were very disappointing where do you kind of stand on them uh, heading into their third game against Atlanta, who, who, which has been the, the worst team in the league so far? Do you think they're going to bounce back in Atlanta, or you know, do you think that they were fraudulent, or where do you stand on them? I got them bouncing back uh, against Atlanta, but you said it there. I mean, they should have lost last week. I think Salt Lake, not only did they miss three field goals, I'm pretty sure there was a fourth one where the holder had to bail and throw an incomplete pass. So it was they pretty mm-hmm. much missed four field goals in that game, which is just unbelievable at really any level of football. But Birmingham, I'm not ready to give up on them just yet, mostly just because of Luis Perez. And just by give up, I mean, like, I, I do think they still have a chance to kind of be a top uh, three team in this league. And that is just because of uh, Luis Perez. I mean, Steve Walford, I'm sorry, John Walford, and uh, Garrett Gilbert, I think, or anyone's one, two at this point. I still have Perez as that third guy. I mean, he's really been, I think, among all these quarterbacks, been playing at the highest level consistently over these last few years, thanks to kind of his performance in, uh, at Division Two. Won their Heisman in 2017, was with the Rams up until uh, the end of really week four of the 2018 preseason, and then, you know, signs up for this league, and he's balling out now, so... Perez is really, you know, as opposed to some of these quarterbacks, been playing active football for pretty much, you know, the last uh, uh, 10 years or so. I mean, he's still a young guy. So uh, I like to see that. And then, I mean, Trent Richardson's on the team. You know, obviously we're seeing Trent sub 3.0 again, kind of same NFL guy that's getting it done based on volume, but that's pretty much it. The next guy I really like the most in this team is Quentin Patton. I think uh, he's emerged as the number one pass game option. And, even if Charles Johnson and Rashad Ross are better than Patton, I think Patton could be the more consistent wide receiver one just because there aren't a ton of other options on this team. They're actually pretty banged up at wide receiver. So uh, if that's going to stay the case moving forward, I think uh, Patton could just get overloaded with targets, and Perez has already kind of proven uh, to be more than happy to kind of give him chances downfield in a one-on-one coverage. But the guy I love the most on Birmingham and my early pick for defensive player of the year, Jamar Summers. This cornerback is fun to watch, man. It's, he's had eight targets this season. He's only allowed two catches, 
Negative one yards allowed. Evan, you and me have both allowed more receiving yards than the AAF and Jamar Summers. I mean, it's incredible. And the guy's got two forced fumbles already, one interception. He was the guy that ripped out that uh, uh, ball on the punt return. They actually got Birmingham their only touchdown last game. You know, questionable if the guy's knee was down. I get that. But really enjoying what I'm seeing from uh, this Birmingham secondary in general. You know, the big question is if it's for real or not, because we've only seen them play, uh, you know, Memphis and this Salt Lake team that was down to their uh, number two, number three quarterback, depending on how you want to call them. And next week, you know, against Atlanta, we're not really going to find out if the secondary is for real either. So uh, I'm, I'm on Birmingham for another week, but I think uh, we still haven't quite seen them fully tested yet. Yeah, Jamar Summers and Keith Reeser. Jamar Summers of the Birmingham Iron. Keith Reeser of the Orlando Apollos, I think, um, might be the top two cornerbacks uh, in this league. And uh, as you mentioned, Jamar Summers, he's kind of got an interesting story. You know, as a sophomore at UConn, he led there, or he was second in the nation in interceptions at eight interceptions as a sophomore at UConn. And then um, they moved him to safety, and he kind of like had a falling out with the coaching staff. And um, he wound up go and he wound up going undrafted uh, out of UConn, and now he's getting this. He had a he had a, he played a little bit in the preseason last year for the Steelers, um, <laughs> but now he, he's getting a shot to you know be like you know get actual you know a, a ton of actual exposure, and he's really making the most of it. And he's going to be a guy who's going to get signed by an NFL team. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to get signed by NFL teams. They can't do it until after the season is over. Uh, I think that that's part of their contract, which, by the way, their contracts are interesting. They all they all have three year deals um, that are worth 250 grand, but they're highly incentive laden, uh, connected to wins and uh, production. So you know they're very much incentivized to be playing at the highest level possible because not only is that the way that they can make more money, but that's the way that they can get um, looked at by the, by the NFL. And Jamar Summers is going to be really high on that list for, for all uh, NFL teams. Um, let's move to the San Antonio Commanders, who I think have a very good or a, a pretty good case to be uh, considered for the number three team in the league there with uh, with Bur- with Birmingham. What are your impressions of the Commanders so far quarterbacked by uh, Logan Woodside? I mean, apparently they're quarterbacked by Logan Woodside, and then I'm re-watching the broadcast of their game uh, a couple of days ago, and we find out that Mike Riley's all of a sudden trying to get Marquise Williams their backup mm-hmm. quarterback involved as well. I mean, I think this is one of the a prime uh, situation where we got to remember that this is a developmental league and coaches are going to have different opinions on that. Uh, I mean, they were interviewing Mike Riley and, you know, no, no word of this got out during the week, you know, from any beat reporters or anything, but the plan going to the game was to give Woodside two, two series. And then after that, you give Marquise Williams one series, see who plays the best in the first half and then kind of ride with someone for the second half. You know, I agree with the old adage, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't, you don't even have one and all that, but I do. I understand where Riley's coming from. I mean, he said, look, Marquise Williams is playing great in practice. Uh, we want to get all these guys snaps, understand their quarterbacks. But, you know, if you're playing great, you're going to go out there and get some snaps. I mean, it's not ideal when we're trying to 
target these good offenses in fantasy. And uh, one of the quarterbacks, uh, Woodside in this case, is a much better passer uh, than the other guy, Williams. But I, I see why Rowdy's doing it, and I mean, I can't really discount him for it. And, you know, I, I do wonder, I, I do think that if you have that attitude as a coach where, you know, best players are going to play regardless of the position, I do think that goes a long way uh, with the entire roster. But the, the good thing for them is that Woodside's proven to be, uh, you know, one of these league's top four or five quarterbacks. And Marquise Williams, he, was only, he only ended up playing for a series. That's the other weird thing. Uh, Rowdy had this uh, quarterback rotation planned out he didn't even stick to. But the one series we did see Williams, he managed to run for 32 yards and uh, really had some wiggle in the open field. So he'll be a real interesting uh, fantasy piece if he ends up uh, kind of supplanting Woodside at some point. But elsewhere, I, I think San Antonio might have the single best crop of skill position players, uh, you know, running back and receiver combined. I didn't see uh, big games from Mikhail McKay or Greg Ward last week, but both those guys are getting enough targets. I think I've shown enough that the best is still to come. Uh, I was really high on Alonzo Moore after week one, kind of as their field stretcher. He had an okay game last week, uh, one bad drop. But DeMarcus Ayers suddenly pops out of nowhere, uh, pretty much has the early catch of the year, sick uh, one-handed snag, had eight targets. So four pretty legit receivers on this team. And then in the backfield, I mean, Kenneth Farrell looked awesome last week. I love Aaron Green. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm team three Aaron Green, just like we had uh, team three Aaron Jones throughout the NFL season. Uh, and then David Cobb, ex-Minnesota uh, Big Ten guy, has got some power. So a whole lot to like on this offense, I think, uh, in general. Now, on defense, I mean, yeah, they just uh, gave up plenty of points to Orlando, but we have seen a pretty consistently good pass rush. You know, we saw them uh, get a forced fumble on Gilbert, on Gilbert and uh, score a touchdown. Uh, Sean Washington is a guy that pretty much beheaded Mike uh, Benovitz uh, on that huge hit to start the season. So a lot to like in uh, San Antonio, and I think they probably have the best uh, home field advantage at this point as well. My biggest concern is just his situation under center. Yeah, you mentioned the the home field advantage. They uh, had the highest attendance in the AAF in week one, and then in week two they had even more people show up. And you know this is nice. the seventh. San Antonio is the big, the seventh biggest city in America, and they only have one pro sports franchise, right? Uh, the, the the Spurs. So, yeah. I mean, there's just you know they they can they can put people in the seats there, and uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see because they they open the season with back to back home games, and now they're going on the road. Uh, and they're, and they're yeah. going to face this San Diego Fleet team, which we're going to talk about next, coached by Mike Martz. Man, you know, there is such a separation between the haves and have-nots in this league when you have a quarterback. Uh, and the San Diego Fleet do not have a quarterback. Um, a lot of people will see the the highlight of Philip Nelson, who was their Week 2 quarterback, uh, subbed in for Mike Bercovici, who was – just a disaster in week one. Um, but Philip Nelson wasn't a whole lot better. A lot of people saw the highlight of him kind of like scrambling, trying to get out of trouble, running <laughs> toward the, the left sideline and throws a pass like literally over. I don't even know how to describe it, like backwards <laughs> over his head. And it was just like, what are you doing, man? You know, but hey, you know, when you're running. You're literally running for your life. It got, it got Mahomes' attention, Evan. Mahomes said he's going to have to step up his game. <laughs> right. So, um, but that's, you know, what this problem that that's what San Diego is dealing with at quarterback right now. Mike Martz, think about how 
frustrated he is. Always had great quarterbacks, you know, in, in the NFL. Um, but they figured it out on the ground last week, and now they're they are hosting this same San Antonio team that we just covered. Uh, what do you think about the fleet so far? Do you think that Mike Martz, who was such a pass-heavy coach in the NFL uh, and and was in week one, too, of the AAF, do you think he'll stick to the run? Because I really like – I think that this running back that the fleet has might be the best running back in the league. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm giving Jaquan Gardner that much props, but he did look good last week, and – yeah, I think it does make sense for them to stick with this run moving forward because I, I don't know what other choice they have at this point. I mean, I think March's postgame, you know, he said Philip Nelson like did some good things. I'm not really sure what game he was watching. I mean, the guy completed fewer than 50% of his passes, 4.7 yards per attempt. I mean, you know, they kind of got a tw- it was 24-12 win over Atlanta, but I mean, I wouldn't call that an impressive offensive performance, uh, especially in a passing game, really by any stretch of the imagination, and this was also an Atlanta defense. Oh, let's not forget that was really run all over by Orlando in week one, too, so I'm still a little bit, I'm not sure, you know, if San Diego really has the league's best run game, or is Atlanta the league's easily worst defense and San Diego is able to take advantage of that for a week, so I'm going to just see kind of how they do in this next matchup, and I guess we have two matchups next week that are already repeats of a week one action, mm-hmm. which I'm uh, pretty intrigued by. We got San Diego versus San Antonio, and um, uh, excuse me, and Orlando. Or not just that one, yeah, San Diego versus San Antonio. Where I think we've seen the NFL. You know, my boss uh, Jonathan Bales has done some research in the past where quarterbacks do play worse in their second divisional game of the year. And I'm inclined to think that's kind of what we're going to see in the AAF in these uh, second matchups as well. Uh, just in terms of, I think having the kind of full game film uh, is a little more, uh, is going to be better for the defense, I think, than the quarterback when we only have two weeks to really get better. So we'll see. I'm not too high on uh, San Diego moving forward, obviously, but uh, hey, man, maybe Mars can keep figuring it out. But I would I would just caution against uh, you know people in fantasy that are kind of ready to anoint Jaquan Gardner as the next bell cow. He did get out snapped by uh, Terrell Watson, forty five to thirty five. So it does look like a situation where I think San Diego is only going to be using two marquee running backs versus three, like a lot of teams. But it, it is going to be a situation I think where Gardner and Watson are both getting plenty of run. Man, we're Jaquan Gardner hater. I mean. Dude is out here averaging 6.9 yards per carry, a very nice 6.9 yards per carry, you know, scoring touchdowns at will, you know, scoring game-winning touchdowns. I mean, Ian, why do do you hate game-winning touchdowns? (laughs) Uh, We we, we really want to give him that much credit for that one over Atlanta. I mean, (sighs) I hear you, man, but – I don't know. I'll tell you what, the best player on this San Diego team isn't on offense. Their defensive end, Demontre Moore. I don't know uh, mm-hmm. how much you watched this guy over the year, but over the years, but he's talking about five NFL teams from 2013 to 2018. I mean, I remember uh, he was on the Cowboys, I think, in 2017, and hearing Brian Broaddus, you know, awesome Cowboys, uh, DallasCowboys.com writer, mentioning how Demontre Moore was good enough to kind of keep Taco Charlton on the sideline. Uh, we found out this last season. Apparently, it's not super hard to keep Taco on the sideline. But, uh, you know, Demontre does have a burst that I think is lacking by a lot of DNs in this league. And sure enough, I mean, he's already got league high marks in, uh, with 15 pressures, and he's tied for first with three sacks. So I'm, I'm loving some of these defenders we're seeing throughout this league, too. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of lot of uh, a lot of good pass rushers, I think. Um, and you know, they don't have the benefit of being able to blitz because the the AAF prevents any more than five pass rushers at a time. Um, so mm-hmm. individual pass rushers like like Demontre Moore, like Oba McGuacham, like Sean Washington, these guys have really uh, stood out for their pass rush ability. These guys are going to get signed by the NFL. You know, I mean, it's going to happen. Um, Salt Lake Stallions, coached by Dennis Erickson, really like their backfield. Brandon Oliver, a lot of people will remember him from the Chargers. Torres Achilles fell out of the league. Um, are we going to get anything out of their passing game? You know, they they their, their starter got hurt in week one. In week two, they turned to Austin Allen. He didn't didn't do anything. Um, you, th- you think this Salt Lake Stallions team can can turn it up? I, I you know they they just they they have kind of endured. You know, losing their starting quarterback in week one was was a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, because look look at that week one game. They're only down three points to Arizona at halftime when they did have Josh Woodrum. Uh, and then, you know, he suffered that hamstring injury that's kind of kept him out since. I mean, Salt Lake, in my admittingly, you know, pretty lame preseason power rankings because we didn't have really any idea what was going on yet, Salt Lake was my number one team mostly because of Josh Woodrum and what he kind of he was able to do with uh, the Ravens in some NFL preseason action, you know, seemed like uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the best uh, dual-threat quarterback in this league. And, you know, he was able to lead two touchdown drives and, 30 minutes of action, which is a lot more than uh, some of these quarterbacks can say after two games. But, yeah, I mean, last week, it's, it's hard to get behind this team, though, if it's going to be Matt Lenahan and or Austin Allen under center. I mean, last week they literally averaged more yards per rush than pass, which is pretty insane. And they still should have won. I mean, again, this, that was four field goals that they managed to mess mm-hmm. up. The, uh, the, big, the big thing I could see them uh, kind of riding with, if they can get some consistency under center, is this could be, I think, the league's best offensive line. I mean, they are truly massive, and I think they kind of instilled their will a little bit on the ground uh, last game against Birmingham you know, with Brandon Oliver, with uh, Joel Blagnon, and even a little bit of Matt Asciata here and there. But each of their starting tackles and guards are at least six foot four and at least 315 pounds. I mean, I, I know offensive linemen these days, a lot of them are monsters like that. But in the AAF, I don't think it's as much of a given as, you know, say the NFL, that you are getting that type of size in the middle. And we did see them kind of take advantage of that for a bit. So, unfortunately, you know, backfield seems to be enough of a committee between Oliver and uh, Blagdon that it might be tough to get a feature back uh, out of that business. But I do like the running game right here. And I think if Woodrum can get back, uh, they have some pieces uh, you know, Anthony Denham at tight end, uh, DeMornay, Pearson now wide receiver, some pieces to give him a competent passing offense because the defense looks solid enough already. I mean, not Bur- Birmingham wasn't even able to score an offensive touchdown on him for 60 minutes. So uh, I like what I'm seeing over there, just getting getting that consistent play under center, like you said. Yeah, Salt Lake, huge game for them this week. They're undefeated, or they are winless the opposite of undefeated. They were <laughs> were beating Arizona, the number two or number one team, depending on your, your point of view, in week one um, in Arizona. They were beating them at halftime. And then last week they lost because of, you know, a, f- a fumble by Matt Asiata in scoring position because of missed field goals. Um, and now they're at home playing Arizona again. Hopefully they can get back Josh Woodrum. I think that they're clearly a better team than their record shows so far. Uh, Memphis Express, quarterbacked by Christian Hackenberg, 
but they do have a pretty good running game. What are your feelings on Mike Singletary's team through two weeks? Man, I guess they got a good run game. Shout out to Zach Stacy and probably want some people, uh, some fantasy leagues back in 2013 or so. And he's trying to do the same in the AAF this year. Uh, was the first AAF back to break 100 yards last week. Had a you know really nice run where he broke an early tackle and popped off for uh, 40 something. So he still got that little burst. But uh, it just seems to me like a one week situation. I mean, he, so many good things happened for this Memphis offense in the first half. I mean, just with turnovers and, you know, Arizona had to come back by, I think mean, he said it, 12 points uh, to get back in that game. And Memphis really just allowed him to do it, I think, more on offense. I mean, their defense has kind of wilted in both these last two weeks after playing really well for the first three quarters because the offense, by and large, just can't really keep anything going. I mean, Hackenberg – had this first half where he gets them to a 12-point lead and then was still playing so bad that, I mean, Brandon Silvers was warming up on the sideline during the third quarter. So this is anything but a stable situation under center. Wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Mettenberger is even out there at some point. And really just, I mean, there's no cohesiveness really between Hackenberg and the pass protection, it seems. It looked like in the second half that Hackenberg's new strategy is pretty much if the first read's there, go ahead and throw it. If not, Let's take off, try to scramble, and not slide. Come on, man. Protect yourself out there. I mean, you know, I've never called myself a Christian Hackenberg stand, but I don't want to see the guy get nailed like this. The poor dude you know, even goes off, scores a nice touchdown run, and he gets laid out in the end zone afterwards. So I uh, wish Hackenberg could stay a little more upright. But, oh, man, I, I think Memphis is better than Atlanta, and that's pretty much the only positive thing I can say about this team as a whole. Yeah, how how bad must Bettenberger be like looking in practice that he can't get on the field <laughs> over Hackenberg and Brandon Silvers? Uh, quotation uh, yeah, marks same around thing the with, name uh, Brandon Aaron Silvers. Murray, by the way. What's that? I was gonna say the same thing with uh, Aaron Murray behind Matt Sims. Like, how bad are these guys yeah. playing in practice to not be able to jump these starters? Yeah. All right. So last team, Atlanta, coached by Kevin Coyle. I mean, this team has been just every circumstance that could go wrong has gone wrong. They Their head coach was supposed to be Brad Childress. He, you know, decided to go spend more time with his family. Um, their OC was supposed to be Michael Vick. He was, like, removed from the league because, you know, he, he wasn't – I don't – he maybe wasn't taking it seriously. Um and so, so they're down to Kevin Coyle as their head coach. They open with back-to-back road games. Uh, of course, they get stomped in the first one. In the second one, um, they were winning uh, for for a while, uh, but then they just collapsed late in the game against the San Diego Fleet. Mike Marks's San Diego Fleet. Um, do you see any hope for this Atlanta team? Um, and this will wrap. This will wrap up. This is the eighth team in the league, and I think you know, with a minus forty-six point differential through two weeks, uh, pretty clearly the team at the bottom so far. Yeah, man, it's bad, and there's really not much to love here for fantasy purposes either. I mean, at least in Memphis, Zach Stacy kind of appears to be the guy in that backfield. We had a full-blown committee in Atlanta between Terry and Folston, who has like the worst speed score you will ever see. Um, also, Lawrence Pittman and Akram uh, Wadley getting involved. Wadley actually had uh, eight receptions last week. Uh, worth noting, I mean, some of those were on screens, but some of those were also just end of the game, kind of check down, check down, check down type situation. So I don't know if he's uh, actually going to be kind of a 
distinct receiver in that offense moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I don't really, it's just so hard for this Atlanta team to turn around after having to deal with those coaching changes right before the season, like you said. And I think we are seeing Atlanta, Salt Lake, and Memphis uh, kind of separate themselves as the three worst teams in this league. I mean, those are the only three offenses that are averaging under four yards per play. Everyone else is at least over that mark, and I think I mean the on-field product kind of reflects that as well. I mean, the best thing I could say about this Atlanta team was that they've had good safety play so far because I was trying to name the biggest strength from each team because even their defense, I mean, they've been run over both these weeks as well. I think it's a situation where uh, uh, we're going to want to kind of attack running backs going against this team. So I guess uh, this week, if Trent Richardson can average over uh, three yards per, per carry, we're really going to know if uh, Atlanta is a team that can be continuously run over or not. Yeah. Um, Trent Richardson, by the way, leading the AAF in touches with 49 through two games. No one's even close. I think the next one is like, is might be Jaquan Gartner. I don't know. It's someone's got 32, I think. But, um, <laughs> I think it's Zach huge, Stacey, huge, but yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Stacy. So, um, but I wanted to hit you with one more question. Cause I know you're playing AAF DFS. I am too. Fanball is running contest fanball.com. Uh, week one, they didn't really have any, you know, big contests where you could win a lot of money. Um, but you know, a lot of head, like head to head stuff, some smaller tournaments. I look today, they're running a, a contest with $10 entry, uh, where top prize gets a thousand. And, um, it's nice because, you know, there's not any, but they, they, they not, they're not, they prevent anybody from like just dominating, um, in terms of, uh, like entries, like just dominating entries. The most entries you can run is 10. So, okay. you know, everybody, every, so yeah, so it, it makes it kind of, it, it makes it a little, little bit more winnable for everyone. You don't have to max out the tournament to win it. Um, but I, I wanted to talk to you about some guys that maybe were standing out to you as potential week three AAF DFS plays. Is there anybody that comes to mind for week three? Yeah, I'm looking through some of the prices right now. Uh, the one thing last week, you know, kind of the cheap free square receiver was uh, Brian Brown at 3K. I think that guy this week, just quickly looking at it, could be Ishmael Hyman for Orlando. You know, we have seen Charles Johnson and Jalen Marshall emerge as those top two. But I think behind them, it's kind of up in the air. You know, we saw Ronell Hall get a little bit involved, uh, Chris Thompson, like you said. I mean, those guys are... 4,300 and 4,700 respectively. And then Ishmael Hyman's all the way down at 3K. You know, I need to do a little more work on the specific snap counts, make sure he just didn't see his, uh, you know, a few targets, uh, maybe only during a few snaps. But I'm pretty sure he's kind of in that rotation uh, in the backup receiving pecking order. And, you know, I just want to be as locked on this Orlando offense, especially in the passing game, as possible with how much better they look in the rest of the league at this point. So, I mean, I'm way more willing to take a chance on a lesser player if they're at least getting these type of uh, fancy-friendly opportunities that we're seeing in Orlando. I mean, 30% of Gary Gilbert's passes have gone over 20-plus uh, yards this season already. That, I mean, it would shatter pretty much any NFL mark over the last five years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. So, I think, uh, you know, these guys that are only getting three targets in certain offenses uh, could more or less be equal to five targets elsewhere. So I'll continue to take chances on these Orlando receivers. Check him out on Twitter. He is excellent at Ian Hartitz. He does a terrific job 
Uh, actually, at, at iHeartTits, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z, like Cheez-Its. Ian, really appreciate the time. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. That's, uh, that's all the great week. Evan, I really enjoyed that. I hope everybody else did as well. That was an AAF primer, if I've ever seen one. Very, very cool. And now we're all ready for week three of the AAF. Should be absolutely awesome. And now that you got that knowledge dropped by Evan, we are able to go ahead and we are able to place wagers on the AAF, which I love. And you do it at betonline.ag using the glorious promo code podcast one. That's how it works. You get a 50% welcome bonus. They've got lines on the AAF. They post the lines pretty early. You can go ahead. I haven't even checked what their limits are, but go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code podcast one, and you will be in very good shape because you'll get that 50% welcome bonus if you haven't already used it. Speaking of betting on the AAF, make sure you listen to today's Even Money podcast as well, whereas we will get some of Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super Bowl professional football gambling, the Westgate Super Contest out there at the Westgate Casino. He will join us on the Even Money podcast like he does every week to talk AAF and more. Other than that, for right now, totally stuffed from that feast, that AAF feast from Evan here on the Fantasy Feast Podcast. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.